The scripture reading for this morning is taken from John 15, John 15, and we will continue working our way through it, focusing especially on the verses 7 to 10 this morning. So in John 15, if you may recall, Jesus Christ has just finished the Last Supper, and he has arisen with his disciples after the Last Supper, and he now is walking through the gardens with, him, with them, walking through the countryside with them on his way to the Garden of Gethsemane. And you have all of these vines around. And here he teaches them, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. And here we come to our text. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples." As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. So far, the word of God. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, today, as we continue looking at our chosen passage for this year's home visit season under the heading, Abide in Christ, we return to our Lord Jesus Christ as he's walking towards the Garden of Gethsemane with his disciples. It's April, the night is cool, and... He is giving them these final, destru- these final instructions as he knows this will be the last night before his time on earth here comes to its pinnacle in his being crucified. Although they don't know it, he's been giving them final instructions and final encouragement through this to brace them as he prepares them for what lies ahead. Strolling through this cool evening, they walk past vineyards, carefully tended, cleaned and pruned, bearing many flowers, pointing to a rich harvest to come. And it's with these images, as we've been seeing over the last week, that Christ has been teaching them in the first six verses of this passage. First, he's introduced himself as the vine and his father as the gardener. 
or vine dresser. And by this, Christ has opened the eyes of his friends, his disciples, to the fact that God is beginning something new in him with this image of the vine and the fruit that it bears. In the image of the vine, he shows that God is gathering for himself a people from within the nation of Israel. But this will be a better vine, not a vine like Israel was so frequently described as a vine that would be destroyed, but a vine that will never come under condemnation and judgment of God because it's founded in himself. Second, he teaches them that people can only be included as the people of God. They can only find life if they are found in him, if they are found as members of him, Jesus Christ himself. Third, he's taught them that if they are truly members of the vine, they'll face pruning. God will cleanse them from sins and distractions that suck away life from the vine. This will be painful in their lives, but it's a reason for rejoicing because it means that they really are part of the vine. It means that the result for his disciples will be that they will bear even more fruit. Fourth, he's taught them how bad the situation of humanity really is. Mankind, having rebelled against God, has rebelled against everything good in this world. Certainly God restrains the wickedness of our fallen nature so that mankind isn't as bad as they can be in every area of life. But having wickedness restrained, even to the point of resulting in remarkable acts of generosity and kindness, is not the same as having the life of Christ within. The only way to bear fruit that is pleasing to God is to have it come out of this life within. Come out of this life that is grounded in Jesus Christ. And without Christ, we can't do anything he's taught them. And fifth, however, he teaches us that if we do bear fruit, that we will bear fruit if we are in him. That the good that those who believe in Christ do is genuinely good and acceptable and pleasing to God because it comes from this new life that dwells within them, even as imperfect as it can be to begin with. And it's with the end goal of this fruit, with the purpose of the vine being to bear this fruit that he continues. And I will look at the passage, these verses 7 to 10 under the following theme and points, the portrait of a disciple. And we'll see, first of all, desire, second, sustainability, and third, fruitfulness. Having heard what Jesus Christ has said up to this point in these first six verses, the disciples are perhaps feeling relieved Because they have listened to and believed in Christ, Christ has assured them in verse 3 that they are being treated like true branches of the vine. The Greek word that's used for prune is the same word that's used for clean in this passage. This means that when Christ tells his disciples, every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, you could say that this is read as he cleans, cleans it of those suckers that take away life-giving energy which could be going to the fruit. And likewise, when he says you are already clean, you could read that as you are already pruned. As we saw, this confirms their having been treated as true branches. There is perhaps more pruning coming for the disciples, 
But coming this far and having been pruned with a purpose, it shows with certainty how they belong to this vine. There's more to this certainty that the disciples have been granted than just being pruned, though. Being pruned is certainly a very clear picture that they do belong in Christ, as every true branch must be pruned. But it's not the only certainty that they're given. The second encouraging thing that they can look to is, where do their desires lie? And this is a good question. It's a healthy question for believers, and one which every true believer does ask him or herself. Christ himself says as much in verse 7, saying, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. Now, what do they desire? Do their desires lie with the glory of God? What is it that you desire, brothers and sisters, boys and girls? What is it that you desire? Maybe you're thinking, how can I know where my desires really lie? If you're not sure, one way that you can reflect on this is ask yourselves, is there something that is a sucker, a shoot that comes out of the vine, sucking away energy from your walk with God? Cut away a distraction in life which sucks away energy that could otherwise go into bearing fruit. Is social media, for example, a big time sucker in your day? Is it something that sucks away from your walk so much that it interferes with your walk with God, with your relationship with God and those who are around? Download an app to limit your time to, say, 10 minutes a day on it. Are alcohol, drugs, and porn a problem for you? Talk with a friend or someone you trust. Maybe talk with an elder about it. They love you and they deal with this kind of thing as well, walking alongside brothers and sisters. This is what they're there for. Tell them of your problem and work together to put barriers into place and cut these things out of your life. Is excessive video gaming an issue? Delete your Steam account permanently. Or give away or sell your Xbox or PlayStation. These things that rise up in your life, which you yourself, on reflecting on them, recognize that they actually are sucking away from your walk with God. Cut them out of your lives. But don't just cut them out of your lives. As you are cutting these things out of your lives and you're reflecting on them, reflect also on why have you done this? What are you hoping to accomplish? What will you now replace it with? When you take this step in choosing to live intentionally instead of just reacting to what happens in life, where do you direct your heart? This is one of the things that we can see when we look elsewhere in Scripture as well. In Romans 12, for example, when it talks about 
presenting our lives as a living sacrifice towards God. We are called on, in light of what Christ has done for us, to renew our minds. Now for the one who believes the answer by the grace of God and despite our own weaknesses is pretty straightforward. As we saw last week, what is it that any branch of a vine desires? The sole purpose of a vine is to bear fruit and so the desire of a branch is to be in the vine and secondly to bear more fruit, to excel in bearing fruit to the glory of God. That is the joy and the delight of the vine because it is doing what it has been created by God to do. And likewise for the believer this is true. As distractions are cleared away, it becomes clear for the believer why they are clearing them away. Because the believer loves God and wants to respond to what God has done. To bear fruit. And to hammer home that fruit is what the branch desires to bear, Christ continues in verse 8 saying, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so that you will be my disciples. Now your pew Bible being the NKJV is a little bit unclear here, but the ESV actually says it more simply. It says, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. You might be thinking, my desires are conflicted inside of me, and I can feel this war inside of me. And this is the state of humanity in this fallen world. We struggle with our sinful nature. We struggle with our sinful nature each and every day. The Holy Spirit teaches us that the heart is deceitful above all things. Who can know it? And yet we can still see through what our actions are, through how we respond that this is the desire of the believer. We recognize our conflicting desires and we repent from them. And we once again set our hearts on Jesus Christ because this is the desire of the believer, the glory of God that comes with bearing much fruit. And it can start in a very small way, but it's still the desire of the believer. They don't just desire a better life. The Christian does not just desire inner peace nor just release from anxiety, not just a desire to have a positive impact on the world, though all of these things are good things. But ultimately, through the fruit that you bear, to glorify God and to be confirmed in your faith is your desire as a disciple. And this brings us to the second point. The 11 disciples walking by Christ's side were confirmed in this. Christ has just shared what the desire of a disciple should be with them, and their response over the course of his ministry has been 
quite evidently, yes, I want to be like that. I want to glorify the Father. I want to bear fruit that proves I am a disciple of Christ. And I want that above all else. That is, the disciples who are with Jesus Christ right now, the 11. Judas, at this point, has already departed. And this is the desire of many of us here today as well, to bear fruit and to glorify God above all else. But before we bear fruit, we need to know where we find the strength to do so, so that when the time comes to bear fruit, we are actually able to do it, right? We need to be able to do so in a sustainable way so that we don't dry ourselves out, exhausting ourselves with the effort. And so in answer to this, Christ again gives us the picture of the branch of a vine. The branch also needs to be sustained. It needs this life energy to carry on. The branch can't bear fruit, he says, if it's not attached to the vine. Now we get this. That's a pretty basic picture. Would you expect a branch that lies on the ground, chopped off, baking in the hot summer sun to keep itself from withering and dying? Naturally, the answer would be no. Because you know that a branch can't do that apart from the plant. The branch needs the rest of the plant. It needs those roots which run deep to the water table to bring up moisture and nutrients. It needs the stem to carry life from the roots to the branch. And in the same way, the Christian needs to be living in Christ's love. This is what is at the center of what Christ teaches his disciples on this cool April evening. This is what sustains the life of the believer, remembering and living in the love of Christ. Verse 9, as the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. Christ teaches us of the depth of his love here. We are able to live and to be sustained in our Christian walk because we are sustained by the same depth of love. And think about this for a moment. We are able to live and to be sustained because we ourselves are sustained by the same depth of love, Christ says, that carried him to the cross and beyond it. We are able to survive pruning and to flourish and grow, to feed our desires, to glorify God in his kingdom, and to act on those desires because Christ loves us with the same very depth of love that was able to carry him through the hours that lay ahead of him. And this is something incredible to reflect on. Because if the love of the Father, Christ says, I have loved you, with the love that the Father has shown to me. If the love of the Father was so great that Christ was able to go to the cross, if it was so great that it was able to sustain him, even after his Father had turned his face away from him, if it was able to carry him through, carrying the wrath of God against the sin of the whole world, how much more can it sustain us from day to day? The Father's love carried Christ through the cross and beyond. Christ loves you, believer, with the very same love. Do you understand the length 
the breadth, the height, and the depth of that love. It can and it will carry you through challenges, fulfilling this desire to glorify God. It can and will if you abide in him, if you abide in that love that he grants. His love is that deep, it is able to do it. It is able to sustain you in and through this. Abide in that love. So how do we actually go about doing that then? How do we go about abiding in that love? Well, Christ shows us two ways in verses 7 and in verse 10. In verse 7 here he says, My words abide in you. Verse 10, he says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. These two ways are the motivating factor. These two ways are the ways in which we can find strength for sustainable Christian living. Great, you might be thinking, the pastor is telling me just to read more and to be more obedient and all will be well. Well, that actually hasn't been working for me so far, so how can I think that it'll continue to be working for me? This actually isn't what Christ is saying, however. What are these two verses actually saying? They're actually saying four things. In response to the first word, my words abide in you, we see the first two things coming out. It means that we are to, in the first place, rejoice in the reality of his love, this love that he has spoken of to us. Now, yes, this involves Bible reading, but it doesn't involve reading just for the sake of reading. Reading the Bible is not some magical formula that will fix your life as you do it. You know, you keep up this this routine and your life will improve. That's not how it works. It's rather what you are doing when you are reading that really drives home what Christ is saying. Dwelling on the fact that his love is real and on the proof of that as it comes out in his word. And the more we listen to what Christ has to say and the more we rejoice in the reality of his love, the more we will understand how much he has sacrificed for us, how much we truly mean to him, the more we'll be able to feed on the strength of that kind of love that he has expressed to us. One of the things that they speak about in a marriage is encouraging each other by words of affirmation, right? And they speak about how words of affirmation can really build up your spouse. We are reading words of Christ's love. We are gathering strength from him, remembering what he has done for us. Second, depending on its support. When you say, let my words abide in you, you are confessing that you depend on its support. 
And yes, this involves prayer, but not just in the sense of do more Bible reading and do more prayer as these laws that are laid out for you that you have to follow. And it's not just a blanket prayer either. Please help me today in everything that I need to do. Amen. But again, if, if all you're doing is using prayer as a magical formula to ward off evil and ignoring him for the rest of the day, you're missing the point that is being brought forward here. Instead, we approach prayer as well with awe in our hearts as a response to what he has already expressed to us in his word. Christ loves me. And he's given me this way to communicate with him, to ask for his help. He's said to me that when I, when I ask, he will listen. We sang that this morning as well. When the poor call on the Lord for help, he hears them. We rejoice in the reality of his love and we depend on his support. That is the first part of what Christ calls us to do as he tells us, abide in my word. Now numbers three and four, these two match the second verse and they also go together hand in hand. In the second verse, verse 11, Christ says, uh, sorry, verse, verse 10, he says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. What comes out here is not, again, a legalistic command, but it's simply a statement of fact, a statement of a relationship and the response to a relationship. He's saying in the third place here, do not grieve him, and in the fourth place, do what delights the lover. Now again, if you're married, you don't even have to think about this. It just flows out of your love for the person who you are in relationship with. You don't have to think, when I get home, I probably should hug my spouse. Or I should tell my wife or my husband how much I appreciate him or her. These are things that you just do as you walk in through the door and they flow out of your love. Now for you, it might not be expressing your love in this particular way. It might be expressing it also in other ways. In helping around the house and fixing things. These aren't things you do because you think, oh, I should express my love for my wife and therefore I think I'll fix this. No, you just do it because you love your wife, because you love your family. But this isn't the natural state of mankind, and you can see this as well when people express amazement how people can still seem in love after, say, two years in marriage, or after 20, or after 40 years of marriage. And so you pray for your marriage. You pray, both of you together, pray for strength. You pray to dwell in the love with which Christ has loved you and that it can spill over to your marriage and through your marriage. And then God feeds your marriage with this sacrificial love and humility and the desires to ask for forgiveness, the desires to give it freely, desires to change and to be givers instead of takers. 
These things all flow naturally as the love which God gives to you and the love which works works itself out in your life deepens. We don't want to grieve, but instead we want to do what delights in a relationship. When Christ tells us to keep his commandments, therefore, it's not as a distant judge with whom we have absolutely no commandments, uh, no connection, and who's saying to us, you need to enforce these rules. As if he's some, cop, uh, some judge on a bench enforcing the traffic ticket that a cop has given to you. No, we are in covenant with him. And it's a relationship which he says is no less filled with and driven by love than the covenant of a marriage relationship. So we don't want to grieve him. And we do want to do what delights him because of this love that is within us. This love by which we respond, we respond to him. This is is what keeping his commandments looks like from a perspective of love. Now, do you do all this perfectly? No. And we know that in our lives, in our marriages, in our relationships, maybe with boyfriend or girlfriend, or our relationships with family, we don't do it perfectly either. And yet, we still do it. Christ knows that we cannot do this perfectly in our covenant relationship with himself either. And yet he knows that this is how we ourselves can draw strength from him because we know that he loves us and he delights in us. And as we put away from our lives the things that grieve the one who loves us and we do what delights him, we thrive under his love and approval like a sunflower turning its face to the sun. His love was always there. His love was always there. But in taking away what grieves him and in doing what delights him, it takes away barriers that we ourselves put in place so that our relationship with him, in our relationship with him, we thrive and we bear much more fruit. Not because of the strength of our love, but because of the joy that we have in his love. So these four things, rejoicing in the reality of his love and depending on it, on its support, as expressed in the first part of what he said. And third, not grieving him, but instead doing what delights the lover. These four things let us abide in and thrive in his love. Now to be clear, it would be foolish to suggest in light of this, that without our faithfulness, God's love would come to nothing and God's grace would come to nothing. And we recognize this because we recognize that the Holy Spirit certainly asks more of us here than we are able to do in our own strength. It is something that comes naturally out of love. But that love itself is not natural to us. So just as we need God for that sacrificial love to sustain that cycle in, say, our marriages, we need that, 
we need for God's action to give and to feed and to grow our love for our relationship with Christ so that this response to his love can grow out of what he's given us. Now to recognize that the Holy Spirit asks more of us than we're able to do in our own strength is a good thing. Consider those sins and distractions that you desire to cut from your life. Those things that you are reflecting on as you're thinking about what are the suckers that are in my life? What are these shoots that are drawing life and energy away from my walk with God, from living in the kingdom? If it was based on your own strength, and without your own strength, God's grace would come to nothing, then we would be in big trouble. But the Holy Spirit asks us more than we are able to do in our own strength. And coming to recognize this is a real comfort. Why? Because this all the more hammers home where we need to go when we lack the strength to obey him. As the famous reformer and preacher John Calvin says, when we hear Christ in this verse exhort us to perseverance, we must not rely on our own energy and industry. We must rather pray to him who commands us and confirms us in his love. And as Christ responds to our prayers, which he will, we will not only be sustained from day to day, but will also be confirmed in our faith by the fruit that we bear, the fruit that comes out of this. And this brings us to our third point. Now, many of us in the pews today are committed in our lives to Christ as covenant members of his kingdom. This is to say we know we're in a special relationship with him, which is where, what our baptism has pointed us to. And we can have conviction the knowledge of God and the understanding of the Bible and the desire to continue and grow in that knowledge which God by his grace has given us. We do see ourselves relying on Christ and by the grace and by the love that he gives us continuing in faith. But what comes next? The disciples also had this. They had that conviction and they had that desire that we spoke of. And they were continuing in Christ. And by this, as we saw, Christ told them in verse 3, they had showed that God had pruned them. God had cleaned them of other desires that suck away life energy that flows through them. Just as certainly as vines in the garden, the vines in the garden around them that they were looking at had been cleaned of these suckers that took away life energy flowing from the stem of the vine to the branches But the burning question that remains is this, where do I go from here? Well, where does the branch go from here? Having been pruned and drawing its life energy from the vine, where does the branch go from here? It bears fruit. And so we also bear fruit in our lives. You see, your love for God, your love for Christ doesn't just stay between you and the trunk. It doesn't just stay between you and him. And then the rest of life kind of carries on. But 
this life that he gives spills over. You have a God-sized amount of love flowing into and through you. And there's no cup or vessel that's capable of containing this amount of life or love. And so it can't help but to spill over to those who are around, whether to family, to friends, to neighbors, to strangers. And the beautiful thing is that as we do see it spill over, and as we seek out opportunities and areas of life in which we can bear fruit, we're able to rejoice. We're able to rejoice seeing this fruit come out, especially on days when we would rather not, and it probably wouldn't if it was just up to us. Because this is evidence for us, evidence of God's work in us. This is evidence of a life that is drawn up from the vine. This is evidence of the fact that we are drawing from something that gives us more strength than we are capable of carrying within ourselves. This is evidence of God's work. Life that's drawn from a vine that bursts out with flowers and then fruit. Yes, the struggles against sin continue. The work of the vine dresser is not done after one season of pruning. Each and every year, the vine dresser comes through and prunes again and prunes again and prunes again. The father does not give up on his children simply because they need to be disciplined again. And the work of the vine dresser is not done after one session of pruning. He returns and he continues to pour out his love and he continues to direct us and help us to grow. But the fruit that we have borne as we pursue our desire for God's glory will remain as witness to us remain as evidence to us, proof to us of God's work in our lives. And so for that, we can give thanks to God. We can rejoice in him. And so, beloved, as we move forward, pray for forgiveness, for craving sinful things. Confess your false desires or even your falling back to friends near you to those around you who can help you. Pray for and seek out ways to bear more fruit. And as you do this, delight when God once again confirms you in your faith by giving you your heart's desire, establishing you, proof once again that you are grounded in Christ through the evidence of the fruit that you bear. Amen.